Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, good morning, Bruce R. Campus. How are you this morning? Hopefully you guys are enjoying this very surprising weather right in the middle of March. I heard a couple boos. I don't think you're supposed to do that in church, but my name is Pastor Gabe and alongside my lovely bride Lauren, we serve as the lead pastors here at the Bruce R. Campus and I'm so glad to be here with you. Come on, I know Chelsea's already said it, but let's give it up one more time for all of our guests that are with us. Thank you for being here. A couple things I want to go over with you before we dive into our message today. Speaking of Chelsea, Cody and Chelsea, Cody back there on the keys and his wife who led us in worship this morning. Today is their anniversary. Let's give it up for them. So I asked him this in the first service, but now I'm going to ask him why his wife is here. How many years? It didn't change. Come on, let's give it up for Cody for remembering his anniversary. And yesterday was his sweet wife's birthday. And so they're blessed family, blessed, blessed family. Another quick announcement is our Youngsville campus is going to be starting next Sunday. So, yeah, Pastor Chris Reese, we're excited about that. Pastor Chris and his lovely bride, Michelle, are pioneering that work once again. We had a campus there and through to many different complications, COVID included, we had to stop the campus there, but they are restarting it at Ascension High School. We're gonna start next week, 10 a, one 10 a.m. service at our Youngsville location at Ascension High School. So let's continue to pray for them. I wanna pray in just a moment, and but I wanna share this with you. We, you don't see us do this often, but it is very much something that we believe in here at the church. We believe in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, talks about the gifts of the Spirit. It talks about these different gifts, like it mentions tongues, which is a very controversial thing. We talk about, it mentions the gifts of word of knowledge, word of wisdom, prophecy, all of these things. These are things that we very much believe in here at our church. Um, but I also I want to share this with you because we're getting ready to do something in a moment. I want to give you the context of it. God doesn't give us these gifts so that men can be great. God gives us these gifts, I believe, for two reasons. So people can know just how real God is and how much he sees them, right? And it also helps us as even unbelievers when they see the gifts of the Spirit in operation, they realize there's a God. There really is a God. And this morning I was praying for a young man that I knew was going to be here and God gave me some instructions and I want to obey him before we dive into our word and so and I want to be very clear I'm not doing this for your grandmother but I want McKinley to come up here come from McKinley and I'm going to come down and I'm going to ask the elders to come stand around him for a minute Kinley, when I was praying for you this morning, of course your grandmother told me you were going to be here, so don't be too impressed. That's not a word of knowledge. And I even saw you when you came in the back. And I'm doing this in the fear of the Lord, okay? 
God spoke two things to me for you this morning. One, he said, line of demarcation. And what that means is a line of demarcation separates states. It's, it's a border. And it's you stepping from one state to the next state. You're stepping into a brand new season, son. And God's going to bless you in this season. And God's going to use you in this season. Because that's the second thing that I heard. You're a harvester. God is not just going to bring you into the body. He's going to use you in the body. There's a call of God you've known that's been on your life for a very long time. But it's getting ready to blow you away. Because I sense this by the Holy Spirit. You're an evangelist. God has made you to be an evangelist. And I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to impart that into you, the spirit of an evangelist. But you're going to find yourself, don't be afraid of even the supernatural. Because God's going to use you in the supernatural. He's going to use you to do things that are not normal, that are not average. And he's going to do that so that unbelievers can know that he's real. That is the call. That is what he's calling you to. And you've stepped over the line. And his hand is on you. So come on, elders. Let's just let's pray over him. Father, right now, I lift up McKinley to you. God, it's been a journey. It's been a path. But I thank you that you waste absolutely nothing. And every experience that this man has gone through has made him a fearless man. And God, I impart to him the spirit of an evangelist. I impart to him, God, the gifts of the spirit of God. Use him to speak and I pray that he would draw God there would be men and women who would never darken the doors of a church building but will come in because this man has preached the gospel to them because they've seen your hand supernaturally work through this man and God we impart that to him right now we thank you my hand is on you son says the Lord you've only just begun to realize the path that I'm illuminating for you says the Lord Yep, I've seen the storms, I've seen the battering, I've seen, but this ship will sail, says the Lord. And I will use you, and my voice will be heard through your voice. And not only that, my hand is going to be used through your hands. And you're going to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Not for your glory, son, it's very important, but it's for mine, says the Lord. But we thank you for this man. Thank you for the call and the anointing on this man's life. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Come on. Praise God. I want y'all to know his grandmother cooks for me, and that's not the reason why we did that jacket. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that's here even now to speak to us, to speak to your people. God, open up our understanding. And as I ask in all all of these moments, Lord, I pray that your spirit will glorify Jesus, the son of God, through me. Thank you for this word. Encourage your people. Let today be a big moment for them of seeing things, seeing life through your perspective. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on, let's give Jesus praise one more time, everybody. We're continuing in our series called The Unknowns, and we're talking about the lives of lesser-known people, characters in the Bible. 
these people who we don't read as much about. There's people in the Old Testament and the New Testament that almost everybody knows about Moses. Almost everybody knows about Abraham. Almost everybody knows in the New Testament about Paul and about Peter. And of course, the centerpiece, not only of the book, but the centerpiece of history, Jesus. But there's stories in the Bible of these lesser known people with lessons that we can learn from. And so I have a lot to share with you this morning. And so I want to get to work. I want to get right to it. I promise you I won't keep you beyond four o'clock today. Um, I'm joking. I'm just joking. There's, this book that we're going to dive into is only four chapters, but I want to, I want, I'm going to skip around to get the whole book in. But it's a, a short book. It only has 85 verses in the entirety of the book. And I want us to unpack this today. But before I do, let me also tell you the whole point of the message. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is the point of the message. I'm going to give it to you before I even preach it. Cling to God. Be loyal. And sow kindness. If you're taking notes, that's the point. Cling to God. Be loyal. And, and sow kindness. Turn with me to the book of Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read the first few verses and then give you a little background to this story. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem, everybody say from Bethlehem. It's a very important point. From Bethlehem, and I'm going to come back to that, in Judah, left his home and went to live in the country of Moab. Taking his wife and two sons with him, the man's name was Elimelech, Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Mahalon and Kilian. They were Epaphrathites, Epaphrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah, and when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Mahalon and Kilian died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Let me give you a little background to the story. The Bible says that this happened during the time of the judges. We talked about this a little bit last week, but this is happening in Israel. And the Israelites in the Old Testament were God's chosen people. And there was a time period in Israel where they weren't acting like God's chosen people. And they had not yet had a king because God was their king. But again, the problem was they weren't acting like God was their king. And so before kings, they had judges where God would anoint a prophet or God would anoint a person to lead the nation. And as they were leading the nation, they were only speaking on behalf of God because, again, God was their king until the people decided we no longer want God to be our king. Give us a man as our king. And that created a lot of problems. But we see during the time of the judges, there was, you're either in a time where the people were rebelling against God or God was correcting the people or the people were coming out of that correction saying, God, we're going to serve you. We're going to do it right. And then the whole cycle would happen all over again. So th this is happening during that time, the time of the judges, where 
they were probably under the discipline of God because the Bible tells us they were in a famine. There was a famine in the land. And this man named Elimelech, whose name means God is my king. That's what the name Elimelech means. Eli, my God, Melech means my or king. So he's, his name means my God is my king. Takes his family and he leaves Israel and he moves to this country called Moab. Now, Moab was a Gentile territory. They were Gentile people, meaning if you were not a Jew, you were a Gentile. You were not one of God's chosen people. So Elimelech takes his wife and he moves there because there's this great famine happening in the land. And when he gets to the land, the Bible tells us that he dies. Now, his wife, whose name is Naomi, her name means pleasantness. Pleasantness. And in the story, we're going to see her not always live up to her name, not always live up to this prophecy of her name and what it means. And the Bible says that she had two sons, one named Malon and one named Killian. Now, let me explain something about how people were named in the Bible in the Old Testament. They were either named based off of what they hoped would happen or something grand that they, like, a, this is what we believe will happen in your life, or they named their child based off of the circumstances and the situation going on in their life. So you have Elimelech, and he's like, my God is my king. His parents were thinking, man, this, this guy is going to be great. He's going to be awesome, and God is, he's going to prove that God is king. Then you have his sons. Let me tell you what their names mean. So let me give you, a, again, another example of this. In the Bible, when um, Esau, Jacob and Esau were born, Esau, the Bible says, came out first. And when he came out first, he looked hairy. So the name Esau means hairy. So they looked at this son and went, that's a pretty hairy kid. Let's call him Esau. Right? That's like looking at your kid and naming them, oh, that's ugly. We're going to name him Ugly. It is terrible, but it's true. Okay, so. And even Jacob, and I won't get into that. His name means either deceiver or heel grabber because he grabbed the heel of his brother to pull him back in. So they named him Jacob. Here you see Malon, his name means sickly or weakling. And Kilion, his name means crying or wailing. So this just goes to show that the time in which these kids are being born was probably not a good time for this family. This was not a joyous moment for the, this family. They had a rough time in Moab. Things were not going well for them. So the dad dies and he leaves Naomi with her two sons and her two sons marry these two women. One's name was Orpah, not Oprah. Orpah. And the other one's name was Ruth. And Ruth, her name means friend, friendly, or, or even better, compassionate friend. That's what that name meant. Now, some of you knew that without even knowing that you knew that. How do I know? When you find someone who is uncompassionate, what do you call them? Ruthless. The person is ruthless. So her, name, her very name means friend, friendly, or compassionate friend. So this family is dealing with 
problem after problem because first there's a famine in the land, then Elimelech dies, and then Naomi's two sons die. Kilion and Mahalon, they both die. And this was a male-dominated culture. That means that the men were the protectors, the men were the providers, the men were the covering. And the moment that those two sons or the last son died, the covering of the family was gone. The the provision of the family was gone. The protection of the family was gone. And this is where we pick our story back up in verse 6. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah, again in Israel where she'd come from had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughter-in-law, so daughters-in-law, got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. She heard that God was moving, God was providing again in, in, in Israel. So she takes her daughter-in-laws and they get on the road going back there. She says, I'm in a foreign land, I'm going to move back to my homeland. Verse 8, but on the way, something shifts in Naomi. On the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. In other words, you've been good daughter-in-laws. You were loyal to my sons. You've been loyal to me, but it's time for you to go home. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. Now, again, somewhere along the road, something changed in Naomi. And my guess is either She's taking this journey with them and she realized just how hard it was going to be on her daughter-in-laws because she knew what it was like to be a woman in a foreign country without a covering, without a protection. And she thought, I don't want this for them. So they just need to go back to their family and, and they'll be fine. But I have a hard road and I don't want them to go down this road. Either that or... Or she thought to herself, let me just get them to go far enough down the journey with me so that we're safe, protected together. And once I get in a safe territory, I can make the rest of the journey. Now, this journey was about a seven to 10 day journey. This was about 50 miles, roughly 50 miles from Moab to Bethlehem. And this is the road that they were walking down as three single, unprotected, uncovered women. And she's saying to herself, we've reached a good place. Y'all go back. I'm going to take the rest of the journey by myself. It's tough when people move on. It's tough when you've ate with someone, lived with someone, been in the same home with someone, and you've, your lives have been together so much, and something happens that causes you to have to part ways. It's tough. It's difficult. And because of circumstances in this case that Naomi had nothing to do with, they had to part ways. And this was a very difficult moment for them to do that. And can I be honest with you? Parting ways is hard. And it should be. When you've, if you've lost someone you love to death or other circumstances, it's hard and it should be hard. If it's not hard, it shows one of two things. 
It shows either the worst case scenario that your heart has grown callous and because people have been in and out of your life so much, you just grow hard-hearted and you think, I just, I won't let anybody else in. Nobody else is going to be in. So when people are moving on or someone dies or something happens, you just go, oh, well, that's tough. Man, that stinks. And your heart's grown cold. Or you recognize that the relationship wasn't really as close as I thought it was. Either way, those are Those are problems whenever you've had to part ways with people that you were supposed to love and they were supposed to love you. So it's supposed to be difficult. And we see that in this moment. In verse 10, as Naomi tells them and it's time to move on, verse 10, no, they said, we want to go, we want to go with you to your people. The initial reaction is, no, 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 no. I'm not doing this. We're not, we're not giving up on this relationship. We are staying together. I don't care what you say, Naomi. And then Naomi begins to spell out the facts. She begins to spell out the the hard reality of the situation. Verse 11, but Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' home, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far, listen, don't miss this part. This is very important. Things are far more bitter for me than you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Naomi was disappointed with God. Naomi was angry at God because of all of the hardships and the things that she went through. She was disappointed. Can I tell you something, church? Be very careful to not take on someone else's disappointments. Be very careful not to walk into someone's story on chapter four and believe that you know, how, you know what the end result is. Because you may walk into the middle of their test and, and believe what they believe for a moment. God's not good. God's not being good to them. Therefore, there's no God. Or therefore, God can't, God just curses people. That's just not right. And the truth is, you just don't, you haven't seen the rest of the story. Be very careful not to judge something prematurely or to judge it before it's time. Listen, as a pastor, I've walked with many of you in tough situations. I've been in hospitals with you as you've cried over lost loved ones. I've counseled you about your your young people who you're, you're scared of going down the wrong path. I've been there in the conflicts when the marriage is all but over. I've walked with many of you and have seen that. And if I'm being honest, there are times that even as your pastor, I don't understand what God's doing in your life. That's just the fact of it. But I've also lived long enough and watched enough stories take place in this very church that I've seen God's faithfulness to those who wait on him. I've seen that. I've seen God take the worst of the worst moments in people's lives and turn them around for their good. So be very careful not to judge before the situation is done. Naomi is saying, You just need to get away from me. I lose everybody. 
Why does this always happen to me? And I've literally been around people who've had so much loss in their lives that they begin to take on this false reality that they are somehow cursed when the fact of the matter is people go and people die. That's called life. It's a hard reality, but it is nonetheless a reality. Naomi's taken on this, and and her name meant pleasantness. But as we'll see later on in the story, she changes her own name from pleasantness to bitterness. She changes her own name to Mara, which means bitterness. Verse 14. So she gives them the harsh reality, this is where we're at. And everything she has said, apart from the fact that God has cursed her, is true. She can't give them any more kids to marry. And if, even if she did, are they going to wait 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 years for these kids to grow up? No, of course not. So she gives them the facts. Verse 14, and again they wept together. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. The title of my message this morning, if you're taking notes, is this. Ruth, kiss or cling? Kiss or cling? Because in this moment, Orpah, she hears the truth. She hears the facts. She hears the reality. And she makes her decision based on that. She says, okay, well, this is the way this is going. I don't want my life to be like this. I love Naomi, but I'm not. I don't want this to be my lot. So she gives up. And she says, I'm going to go back to my people. And there's no hard feeling. She kisses Naomi. She genuinely loved Naomi. But based on the facts she turns. But Ruth clings because though she heard the facts, she knew there was a deeper truth at work. There was something deeper happening in their relationship than just the facts in front of her. And the Bible says rather than kiss, she clung to Naomi. She held on to Naomi. Verse 15, this is what it says. Look, Naomi tries to detour her again. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. In other words, get away from me. Can't you see something's wrong with me? Baruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn your back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. And don't miss this part. And your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. In other words, Naomi kept trying. She tried, she tried, but whenever she saw Ruth's solid resolve that I'm not budging, she said, okay, we're in this together. We are in this together. I want to be very clear about a couple things. First thing is this. When you find the right people that God wants you to build with, stick with them. Stick with them. Loyalty in our culture and our society seems to be a lost art form. When we think of loyalty, we think I'm loyal up until the point where it inconveniences me, then I'm out. 
That's why we can stand at an altar before God and commit to one another that in sickness and in health and richer and poorer and better, worse. And what we're really saying is, as long as I'm comfortable, I'm committed to you. But the moment I'm uncomfortable or the moment I don't feel like this is going to my benefit, I'm out. Because we no longer really grasp the concept of loyalty. So there's something to be said, something noble and blessed about being loyal, being a loyal person. That, those are traits that we should have. But, and I want to make sure that I'm very clear on this as well, and I've heard it preached before, this very text that puts us in a position where we believe that unless I am with this particular person, I will never reach my destiny. And can I be honest with you? That's simply not true. That's simply not true. Me me and Cody joke around about this because we grew up in old school churches where we used to hear things like, hey, if the rapture happens and you're not in church, what then? And some of you laugh. But I used to be afraid of that. I used to be scared, like, oh, my gosh, what if I'm like, what if the rapture happens and I'm at somebody else's church? (laughs) You laugh. But I believed it. It was bad theology. So that, oh, so I guess the blood of Jesus only matters whenever I'm sitting in your church service, right? That's the kind of foolishness and bad theology that can go out there. I am a very loyal person. I am loyal to a fault. Once I am loyal to you, it takes a lot for me not to be. That's just the fact of it. But I have lived life long enough to see people that I thought I would walk with and build with for the rest of my life. I've seen God be sovereign and providential and say, I can remember walking with a man for 10 years of my life who mentored me, invested in me, poured his life into me, and had conversation. We're going to be with each other for the rest of our lives. This is how it's going to be. And we, were, we meant well until God said, you're going in this direction and you're going in this one. God, that's not what we said. It doesn't matter what you said. I'm God. I'm God. And this story, there's an underlying theme in this story, and it is this. Providence, sovereignty, because this, this whole book does not mention God very often. The narrator never mentions God, but the theme of this book is God is in control of this entire story from start to finish. Let's keep going. I want you to see this. The real commitment, the real covenant that was made was not, hey, I'm with you. It was, and she did, and she committed herself. But this was more than a commitment. This was, this was a, a conversion because she said to her, your God will be my God. Ruth was a Moabite woman. She served false gods. She served a God named Chemosh. They didn't even serve the same God. But when she committed to Naomi, what she was saying is, I'm committing to you, and I'm also committing to the God you follow and your people. And that's what happens. 
What am I saying? We all face crossroads in life. We will all be in situations in life that from the outside looking in, it seemingly looks like that circumstance in your life was designed to get you to turn away from God. We will all face things that it seems like this is so hard, this is so difficult, this is so painful that I'm just going to walk away from God because I can't believe God would even do this or I can't believe God would even allow this or why would, why would God let this thing happen to me? It seems like it's designed to get us to walk away as if God himself is saying, just go ahead and leave. We will all face those moments, but can I tell you what those moments really are? They're testing. They're testing moments. Look at the person next to you and say, this is only a test. Now the person on your other side, tell them, say, this is only a test. Some of you need to hear that this morning. This is only a test. This is only a test, not to prove it to God, but to prove it to you. To prove it to you. I'm reminded of the story when Jesus in John chapter 6, Jesus is meeting with his disciples. Uh, he's preaching, excuse me, to a crowd of people. And he tells them something that was very difficult to understand, very difficult to really conceptualize. Jesus tells them, unless y'all eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. If I got up at the 10 a.m. service and said, all right, everybody, today you're going to eat my flesh and drink my blood or you're not going to heaven. You would have every right to go, well, looks like Youngsville campus it is. <laughs> right? That wouldn't make sense except, except for the fact that this is the exact same chapter and exact same people that Jesus had just fed, fed 5,000 people. He just, this same chapter, he had just done this to the same crowd of people. And what happened was the people were likely going around. They were enjoying the benefits of being with Jesus rather than following him. They were enjoying the, Jesus is giving free catfish po' boys, everybody. Come on, come follow Jesus. And Jesus says, you're enjoying the physical provisions that I'm making for you. But unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And the people start leaving by the droves because they can't reconcile that he's talking about something spiritual. They perceive he's talking about cannibalism. And they're like, I'm not with this. And they're leaving. And the Bible goes on to tell us that even his disciples, the people following him, started complaining about him. And Jesus looks to his 12, his closest group, and he tells them, he asked them a question that is so difficult to hear Jesus say. He said, are y'all going to leave too? What a question. Everybody else is leaving. Are y'all going to leave too? And Jesus said, I mean, I love Peter for all of his faults and his dumb things that he said. Peter looks at Jesus and he says, where are we going to go? We're following you. You have the words of eternal life. You are the Messiah. We're convinced. You can't offend us away. We're going to follow you. He passed the test. 
And can I tell you something about the test that many of you are facing right now that you feel like, God, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, why me? The test will pass when you pass the test. The test will pass when you pass it. In Ruth's life, she pledges her loyalty to Naomi, her loyalty to Naomi. But she also pledges her loyalty to God. And this means I'm signing up for hard times. I'm signing up for hardships. I'm going to take care of her even when it's not convenient, even when it's hard, even when I just want to cut cut ties and run. I'm going to be loyal to this woman. I'm going to be loyal to God. Verse 19. So the two, the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to where? Bethlehem. The entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked her. They're happy to see her. Naomi, is this really you? And I'm not going to read it, but, but Naomi turns to them. And she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter or bitterness. In other words, she's saying, you're happy to see me. I'm not happy to see you or anybody else. I'm bitter. God has dealt harshly with me. I'm done with a pleasant outlook on life. I'm done believing there's something good coming out of this. Talk about a good welcome home party, huh? With Naomi and Ruth together, Ruth, so pleasant, asked, can I please go and glean Can I please go and provide food for us? And Naomi lets her go. Let me explain what what is happening. Ruth, in an effort to provide for Naomi, says, let me go and follow behind the grain harvesters to pick up scraps of food that they left behind so that I can provide for us. In that day, God God had instituted something in the Bible called gleaning. So you would have these harvesters who would go through these fields and whether they had sickles or they were handpicking, they didn't have John Deere's or whatever else that you may have owned. They didn't have that. They had people out there picking the grains and picking whatever crop that they were harvesting. And they would go through and they would quickly just grab and pick and whatever by the law, whatever was left, whatever was left behind or whatever fell to the ground, the poor people were able to come and pick it up. That was God's provision for the poor that he instituted even into the law. And so this was called gleaning. And so Ruth says, let me go and glean Naomi so that we can can provide for our family. We can have something to eat. So Naomi lets her go. And Ruth is there and she's gleaning and she just happens to land in the field of a man named Boaz just happens to land in the field with, by, owned by a man named Boaz. And Boaz was a relative to Naomi. I want you to see this. Things don't just happen in your life. God is sovereign. God is providential. What you see is just happening. It's been in God's plan all along to put you in the right place at the right time with the right person to have the right conversation to get you exactly precisely where he wants you to be if you will trust him. If you will trust him. So Ruth is in this field and she's gleaning and this man named Boaz looks over at her and it's like he calls one of his guys. Who's she? And I bet he was saying, 
She's kind of cute. <laughs> what's, she doing? what's she doing out here? He owns this field and he lets her glean. Now keep in mind, this was not a Jewish woman. This was a Gentile. And as far as my understanding goes, that went for the Jews to be able to glean. He's letting a Gentile woman glean in his field. So he owns his field. He lets her do this. And then they engage in this conversation. This is what the conversation is in verse 8, chapter 2, verse 8. But Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the fields they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men to, treat, to not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water that they've drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? She asked, I'm only a foreign woman. Again, remember, she wasn't a Jew. Verse 11. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge fully, excuse me, reward you fully for what you have done. Let me ask you a question. What did, what did Ruth do to gain favor with Boaz? Did she do anything personally to Boaz for him to go, yeah, come on. Let me answer that question. Nothing. She did absolutely nothing for him. It's not like they were friends. It's not like they dated in high school and he was like, hey, let me hook you up. Let me help you. She didn't know him. He didn't know her. But she had this favor on her life with him. Why? Because of Naomi. Because of the seeds that she so let me teach you a very biblical principle. The Bible says, he that gives to the poor lends to the Lord. And for the sake of our context, let me put it like this. And some of you, you need to hear this. You sow in one field, but you reap in another. You sow in one field and you reap in another. Do not think for one second that the kindness that you've shown people that have taken advantage of your kindness or the people you've helped or you've blessed or you've taken care of and they've shown you no gratitude and they've shown you no, no honor for what you've done for them. Do not believe for a moment that that's wasted in God's eyesight. Not wasted in his eyesight at all. Because you are sowing seeds into a field that may not have produced for you, but turn, you'll turn right back around and you'll reap in a field that does not even belong to you, a harvest greater than the seeds that you sowed. Why? God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. That will he also reap. Listen to me, every time that you've done the right thing and you feel like it went unnoticed, it wasn't. Every time that you helped someone, it didn't go unnoticed. Every time that you did the hard thing when it was not appreciated, it was not unnoticed. We don't sow into people's lives so that we can reap gratitude from them. That's important and you should be a grateful person. But we sow in people's lives so that we can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's why we do what we do. 
God sees and God rewards. Ruth did nothing to deserve this favor. But God gave it to her via Boaz. Verse 13. This is how she responds to Boaz. I hope I continue to please you, sir. She replied, you have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in our sour wine. So she sat with her harvesters and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. So she ate all she wanted and still had some left over. This could just be my opinion, but I believe this is what you would consider Old Testament flirting. (laughs) I hope I continue to please you, sir. (laughs) And he's over there like, hey, girl, listen, you can can come dip your bread and I'll sour wine over here. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? He, he shows great kindness to her, and he continues that kindness. He continues to be a kind man to her. Verse 20, may the Lord bless him. Naomi hears about this. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Let me explain to you what a family redeemer is. Other translations call it the kinsman redeemer. This was someone who was related to the family. In that day, in that time in Israel, you had these tribes and these tribes had families within the tribe and these families owned land that could only be sold and given to stay within the exact same tribe. So if you were in the tribe of Judah, you could only buy and sell land to other people who lived in the tribe of Judah, but you wanted to keep it in your family. So if you had a a dire situation like this where Elimelech dies and the sons die and there's no one there to provide, you could sell your land. But the best thing would be to sell it to someone who is in the family. And the family could come and redeem the land. And not only would they redeem the land, but they could redeem the family because, again, uh, Mahalan had had a wife, Ruth, and they didn't have a son. There was no one there to provide in the future for the family. So Boaz, as the kinsman redeemer or the family redeemer, could, y'all tracking with me? I know it's a lot. Could marry Ruth and provide a son for the family and buy the land and keep all of the land and the family together. And he would be the redeemer of the family. And this is a great picture of Jesus. And what he's done for us when he bought us back, when he provided for us, when he provided a future for us. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but we're we're landing the plane soon. But you can already see how the story is starting to shift. It's starting to change. And here's part of the problem in our own lives. We don't stay faithful to God long enough to see our stories turn. We quit and we give up in chapter three. We quit, we give up. This is too hard. Instead of waiting to see the salvation of the Lord, waiting to see him turn things around. And we can see things are starting to shift. And even Naomi is starting to be another, starting to be a twinkle in her eye again. 
She's starting to say kind things about the future again because she's recognizing maybe, just maybe, God has a plan in all of this. And Ruth's loyalty is helping to restore Naomi's faith. So in chapter 3, Naomi actually, she just encourages Ruth. Go and tell Boaz how you feel. She's like, I'm sick of seeing y'all flirt. Just go tell the man. Just go make it plain. And this is what she tells her to do. Very important. Chapter 3, verse 3. Now do as I tell you. She's going to walk her through how to go get this man. She's like, I'm, I'm going to do this myself. Since you won't do it, Ruth, come here. And I love this deep spiritual wisdom she gives her. Take a bath. I'm going to let y'all sit on that for a minute. That was true in the Old Testament. And that's true now. Take a bath. Put on perfume. And dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor. But don't let Boaz see you until he is finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. And then go and uncover his feet. That's kind of weird, but we'll explain it in a minute. (laughs) And lie down there. He will tell you what to do. So this is important. She tells her, go and present yourself to Boaz. Go and make plain what your intentions are. Go and tell him that you want to marry him. This is a bit of a side note, but let me just say it. Ladies, Boaz is the kind of man that you want to look for. Boaz was a man, he, he, he had provision, he had all of those things, but he was a kind man. He was a kind man. It's not that he was weak. He was not weak. And we'll see, we see that throughout this story. He was not a weak man, but he was a kind man. Oftentimes when you find men that are so hard and so harsh all the time, can I just tell you as a man what they're doing? I'm not talking about being driven. I'm driven. But you can be driven and be kind. You can be strong and be kind. Kindness is a choice. It's not a personality. It's a choice. And Boaz chose to be a kind man. When you find these men, can I tell you what they're doing? They're often covering their own perceived insecurities. They're overcompensating for their own weaknesses that they believe that they have. But oftentimes, a kind man is a secure man. Ladies, that's the kind of man that you want to find. That's the kind of man... Men, I want you to see the type of woman that Ruth was, gentle, with a loyal spirit. That's the kind of woman that you want to find. Wait a minute, pastor. Do you, we, have, we have strong women. I'm strong. Listen, God made you strong. I've said that before. We are not against strong women in this church. We're just for stronger men. You can be strong, but you can still choose to be loyal and you can still choose to be gentle. You can choose those. Men, that's the type of woman that you want. If you're looking, that's what you're looking for. So she does, and she goes, and she finds Boaz sleeping. 
And while Boaz is sleeping, she uncovers his feet. That's not some weird foot fetish thing. Let me tell you what's going on. Boaz, his feet are uncovered. It's probably cold outside. He wakes up and he's startled and he sees this beautiful woman at his feet. And he's going, what's going on here? What are you doing? And essentially she tells him, take that cover and cover me. Now I want you to see something. This was not sexual. We're predisposed in our culture to go, oh, I know what's going on here. No, you don't. (laughs) What she's saying is, I need you to be my covering. Will you become our kinsman redeemer? Will you marry me and cover me and nail me? Cover our family. That's what she's saying. A little bit of a Sadie Hawkins dance thing going on, but... Verse 10, this is, how he, this is how, I want you to see his response to her. He says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. Boaz exclaimed, you are showing even more loyalty now than you did before. In other words, you were so loyal to Naomi, and what you've done is amazing. But the fact that you would come here and ask me to do this, you're showing even more loyalty to our family than you did before. Before you have not... Excuse me, before you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor, which probably means Boaz was likely an older man. She was a young woman. He was likely an older man. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family's redeemers, there's yet another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight. And in the morning, I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until the morning. And he doesn't touch her. And I love what he says. The whole town knows you're a virtuous woman. And he tells her, wait until, I'm not going to read it. But he tells her, wait until No one is around where you can leave because I don't want any accusations made against you to defile your great name. Wait and then go home. He says, and I'm going to do this right. And I'm going to go to that man who is closer related to you. And if he will take the option, praise God. But I hope he doesn't because I would love to be your husband. And that's what he does. So she goes back to Naomi. He said, yes, oh my God, you're going to Naomi's like, girl, chill. Let's just wait. He is going to be relentless in making sure that this happens. And he does. I want you to see something. Boaz, he, he had to find her attractive. That's why he first noticed her. He didn't look at her and go, oh, that's a hardworking woman. He looked at her and went, hey, girl, hey. Right? That, he noticed that, but now in this moment when he's ready to marry her, that's the message within the message. Let me just say it. He noticed her outer beauty, but he was willing to marry her inner beauty. Dear God, that's a message. He noticed her outer beauty, but he was willing to commit to her inner beauty. And he praises that. And he says, you're a woman of virtue. And then, again, if you want to, to read it, the beginning of chapter 4 explains this. For sake of time, I'm going to go ahead and close this down in a moment. But Boaz goes to the city gate, which is where this was like the courtroom. This is where they did all of the legal matters. And he finds that man who's closer related to Naomi. 
And he says, hey, there's a plot of land here. If you want to buy it, you're the closest in line. You can have this land. So the guy's thinking, great, this is awesome. Yeah. And he's, and, but then Boaz says, there's only one other small problem with this. You're going to have to marry Ruth. And the guy goes, I don't want to do that. And he says that this would mess up my, my plans. This would mess up his design. What probably happened is he probably already had kids, and he probably didn't want to have to divvy out his inheritance to even more people. He didn't want that responsibility. So he says, I don't want that. And Boaz says, okay, I will take it then. If you're saying you don't want it, let's make the agreement right now. Okay, yeah, that's fine. So he makes the agreement. And in that moment, he signifies his commitment to Mary Ruth to purchase that land and to redeem that family. What a great picture of a man. What a great picture of a man who takes responsibility for something that had nothing to do with him. That is what men do. We take responsibility. Even for things that or outside of our control, if it's under our watch. Listen, I, I remember learning this in leadership within the church. It may not be my fault, but it's my responsibility. This man took responsibility. And he marries Ruth. In verse 13, this is what it says. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then, don't miss this. Then the women of the town, what town? Bethlehem, said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. A couple points to be made as I close. This woman, Naomi, because of God's faithfulness to her, because of Ruth's loyalty to her, went from naming herself bitter, bitterness, Mara, to all the women in the city calling her blessed. God changed providentially the narrative of that story from a bitter woman that God's against to the whole city calling her blessed. Blessed. And Ruth went from losing her husband, losing her father-in-law, losing her brother-in-law, leaving her land to entering into God's promised land. Meeting a kind, strong gentle man who would provide for her for the rest of her days and God gave her a son and to make this story even greater that son was named Obed and that man Obed had a son named Jesse and that man Jesse had a son named David who we know as King David and there's a city called the city of David you want to know the name of that city Bethlehem the city of David where the Messiah would be born. Jesus came from the line of David, born in the city of David, Bethlehem, because one woman said, I'm not kissing, I'm clinging. 
I'm not walking away from this tough time. I'm embracing it. I'm not giving up on the faithfulness of God. I'm not giving up on my loyalty and my responsibility. I'm clinging to it, and I will see the faithfulness of God. And because of that, David came, and Jesus came from that faithfulness. So again, I tell you the point of this message. Cling to God. Be loyal and so kindness. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your people. I pray for situations right now that people are tempted to give up. <laughs> They're tempted to quit. It hurts too much. It's too painful. I don't want to deal with this. I can't. God, I pray that you would give them the grace to be faithful to be loyal to your plans and your purposes in the earth. It doesn't mean that we don't show tough love. doesn't mean we don't make hard decisions. But I pray that we would cling to your plans when you've revealed that to us. And we would be relentless in your will for us, even in the face of disappointment, even in the face of hurt, even in the face of bitterness, when the voices around us are screaming bitter words in our ears. I pray that we would listen to the words of your scripture and the voice of the Holy Spirit. And we would cling to those promises. Bless your people today. And we say of you, God, you are sovereign. You are providential. And great, Father, is your faithfulness to us. Let your people see that. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Gabe, I'm far away from this God that you're talking about. I, I've never made the decision to cling to him. Today's your opportunity. Today, maybe he brought you here just for this moment to cling to him. What am I talking about? I'm talking about what the Bible calls being born again. Jesus said to a religious leader, a religious man who should have known better. In other words, you growing up in church doesn't change this fact. You could have been baptized, christened, confirmed. None of those things are as important as whether or not you were born again. Pastor, how do I do that? We like to say it's as simple, as easy as ABC. A, you admit. Admit that you're a sinner. That there's sin in your life that you have to acknowledge before a holy, just God. And you tell him, this is what this is, God. But B, you believe Believe what? That God sent Jesus to die on that cross so that those sins can be washed away and you could be forgiven. And see you confess. Confess that he is now Lord. That means that you answer the call, I will follow you because I believe you. I believe you died on that cross. I believe you rose again from the dead. I am yours and I'm giving my life to you. You are my Lord. If that's you and you say, Pastor Gabe, this morning, I want to cling to God. I want to be born again. I want my sins forgiven and I want to walk with him with no one looking around. I want to give you the opportunity today to be born again. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's not the words that save you. It's not the, there's nothing mystical or magical about it. It's your commitment that you're making to him and the spirit of God drawing you that's going to save you in this moment. One. 
If that's you, lift your hands when I count to three. Two, three. If you say that's me, I want you to lift up your hand. I want to know who I'm praying with. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. I see your hand. Thank you, young man. Anyone else? Thank you, young man. I see your hand. Thank you, young lady. I see your hand. Anyone else? Say, this is my moment. I want to be right with God. I want my sins forgiven. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Thank you, young man. I see your hand. Thank you, young man. I see yours. You can put them down. I see your hand all the way in the back. Pray these words with me, church, all of us together, as we pray with these precious saints meeting Jesus today. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to go there. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on this earth, and a relationship with God the Father. I turn away from my sin. I repent of my sin. I commit to follow you. I am yours. And from this moment on, God, you are my father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. Heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name.